thank you for joining for this episode of the Tech Spective podcast. Uh, my guest this week uh, is uh, Susie Greenberg from Intel. Uh, so Susie, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Thanks, Tony. It's really great to be here. Uh, my name is Susie Greenberg. I've been at Intel for about 13 years. My current role is managing the communications and PCERT team within the Intel product assurance and communication or in, um, security team. And um, PCERT, if everyone doesn't know, stands for um, product uh, security incident response team. So we manage all the incidences that are coming through at Intel and and also the communications that go out going to our partners and customers. Awesome. Um, and probably a, a, a fair amount of work uh, at Intel. I'm kept busy and I was asked today how much sleep I get. So <laughs> not a lot. All right. Well, so you know, one of the one of the, I, I, sort of the primary reason uh, for for having you on is you know we've got this uh, Poneman report that you guys have, have worked on uh, the role of transparency and security assurance in driving technology decision making. So um, that's a lot of words. Uh, so you know, <laughs> give give me the uh, simple version of what are what are we actually measuring or or you know studying in this report. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I think everyone can agree that the need for security is not going away. It's only growing. And at Intel, it's one of our top priorities. Everyone at the company is asked to have a security mindset in their day-to-day -day job and the work that they do. Um, you know, and, and we really wanted to understand better how our customers and partners were feeling. And, you know, does security assurance and innovation impact the preference for a vendor? Does it, uh, you know, in, ensure trust and help to build that? And how can we continue to earn that from a security perspective in the work that we do? And then, you know, what is security, what role does it play in the purchasing decision? So, um, you know, we saw an opportunity to partner with the Ponemon uh, Institute, which is a well-established group and really wonderful to work with. And the goal was to better understand what is important to the industry so that we Intel can deliver what customers want and what they need. Okay. Um, and, you know, so I would, first of all, I would agree that uh, uh, with sort of the, the, the respect and the credibility of, of Poneman, um, you know, I, I had said when, you know, you and I spoke before that uh, mm -hmm. I've always, I've always been a fan uh, of, of the Poneman reports. Um, Overall, um, I mean, and I think you, you kind of hit on this a little bit just now, but you know, why uh, this report? Like, what what is Intel's uh, incentive or motivation behind doing a study like this? Sure, we have you know some interesting data points that we've found in just the last several months. Um, you know, the the research estimates that this year alone, businesses are going to spend 106 billion dollars on cybersecurity critical infrastructure. And that is a direct result of a 300% increase in cyber crimes that have been reported to the FBI since COVID-19 started. So, you know, we are seeing nation state sponsored and well-funded independent hackers um, that have lucrative opportunities here to exploit systems, whether it be to get your online finances, your personal data, 
and the fact that everything is connected even more so than ever, um, you know, it's really important for us to, uh, to understand what our customers are looking for and how we can best serve them and how we can really help improve uh, the industry as a whole from this perspective. How can we support all of our customers and the, the entire ecosystem, competitors included, to really ensure that the security is, is top of mind and a key focus for everyone. All right. Um, so, you know, it, I, I, we're not going to go through the entire report, but sure. uh, you know, having having worked on it and, and worked with it, um, what are your thoughts? Like, like what's what stands out to you? What what mm -hmm. what, uh, what what is the key thing that you looked at and, and it kind of surprised you or, or or, you know, whatever that you thought was interesting? Sure, we we definitely saw um, some trends emerge from the data that we found, and there were three areas that really we honed in on. One was transparency and assurance. You know, how open are uh, companies being um, around the work that they're doing in security? How uh, likely are uh, you know technology companies um, willing to uh, purchase from companies that are consistently finding, mitigating, and communicating security vulnerabilities. Um, you know, from an innovation perspective, you know, how important are hardware-assisted capabilities to ensure that we're mitigating software exploits? And, you know, what can we be doing from a technology perspective to help ensure that we're offering the right level of protection for distributed workloads and, and things of that nature in the innovation bucket? Um, you know, and then adoption was another one. And, and that really is, you know, how is how much of an objective, how important it is to respond and contain and remediate these cyber attacks and these data breaches. And, you know, are we seeing companies adopt the mitigations that we provide? You know, how quickly is it taking them um, or how long is it taking them rather to actually find um, or to adopt these mitigations and apply them to their system so that they are protected from these uh, vulnerabilities that we're finding. Do you have any insight into when it comes to that, like the 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 adoption of of the mitigation technologies, do you have any insight into the variance between, an enterprise versus a, a, a small business? Like, is there is there a level of like technology skill that that you have to have in order to do it properly or, you know, or, or is just inherent and just works? Well, we hope it gets to a point where it's inherent and just works. And that's why we focus so much on not only providing the technical documentation around the exploit itself, but also mitigation guidance and how best to apply it so that we're supporting some of those smaller businesses and companies that may not necessarily have the infrastructure to apply and adopt all of the mitigations we're providing, but you know can look at the guidance that we're giving them and determine what is best for their company, what can they support and and how best can they apply that to their own system. So um, you know we really try to look at the the broad spectrum um, and and really apply a lot of the the guidance and the support that we offer uh, as a way to to help. Uh, some of those smaller companies adopt these mitigations as well, where they might not have that infrastructure in place internally. Okay. Um, you you, would, you know, mentioned right at the beginning, they're talking about mm -hmm. 
the, the focus on you know, the, the part of the focus of this report, and, and I know Intel has actually focused on this for some time, um, is is on transparency, and, and Intel does mm -hmm. a good job of transparency itself as well. Um, you know, why do you why do you think that transparency is so important? Uh, it seems to be increasingly important, or do you think it's always been a priority? Like, is, is it is it just that we're noticing it and paying attention to it now, or or was it always an issue? No, I think it's always been important, and I think that if we can be an example to the rest of the industry around disclosure and and providing as much transparency and information behind the issues that we're finding, um, you know, we're really benefiting the entire industry from that perspective. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, we talk about a lot is that hackers like to work in the dark and they're behind the scenes finding things. And, um, you know, our goal and option opportunity is really to bring a lot of those issues to light so that not only are we providing information on the issue, but we're giving the research community the tools and support that they need to continue digging into some of those issues and, and helping uh, find additional problems that we might need to address and then working and collaborating with us on, on applying that mitigation and, and coordinating our response to the community so that when we actually go out and start to communicate the issue itself, that we also can stand behind the mitigation that we're providing. And so there is this kind of fast follow on of protection for the ecosystem and an understanding of the issue at hand so that they can figure out the best way to protect themselves and their systems. Okay, no, I mean, I would, I would agree with that. And, you know, I think one of the one of the one of the issues that comes up and this doesn't even just apply to technology, it can just mm -hmm. apply, uh, you know, state and federal political level it applies all over the place it's like it, it's it's one thing to just get the news of you know this is a thing that's going on it's you know whatever catastrophe uh or or issue is is happening but the bigger deal is generally comes back to that transparency it's like well just tell me exactly what's going on so i can figure out <laughs> what that means to me and 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 how to deal with it but you know if you're if you're withholding information if i don't have all all, all of the the details of what is happening, then then it's harder for me to, you know, respond appropriately. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we found in the study is that for, you know, a good majority of folks, it's really important that we're transparent about those security updates and mitigation. But um, at the same time, the, the findings found that around 47% that said that they don't think that their technology provider is, is doing that work. Um, you know, so there's an opportunity there for to grow and, and to get that number up uh, as an entire industry. Um, at, you know, as Intel has has you know made made this a focus and you know both both security and transparency, you know what impact has that had, or how 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 does that focus on transparency and uh, and assurance play into what Intel does on like a hardware innovation side or what Intel does in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, software development, you know, how, how, how are you using this information internally? Sure. So, you know, there are two kind of key areas from a security perspective that, that we tend to kind of bucket our work in and it's 
the way we work, and, and that's our secure development life cycle, the PCERT work, the bug bounty, and then there's what we work on. And that really kind of falls into three key areas, those being you know foundational security. So that's the work that's happening to authenticate a system and make sure that it's coming up and, and running as you would expect it to um, in a secure environment. And then there's the th second thing, which is workload protection. And that is really ensuring that all legitimate software that's running on Intel platforms contains a trusted execution environment as well. Um, and then the third area is software reliability. So, uh, you know, an example there would be control flow enforcement and encryption. So that's looking to help harden the software by moving some of the security capabilities directly into the hardware. And, you know, those three things together, we think really um, allow for verification and threat detection that at the end of the day, from what the customers see, are very valuable barriers to attack. So that's what we're doing. And that's where we're focusing our efforts from a technology perspective. Okay. You mentioned um, in there uh, the bug bounty program and, and you mm -hmm. earlier, and I've, I've actually, you know, written a number of times about the uh, Intel bug bounty program and, you know, bug bounties in, in general. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you, uh, you know, give a little bit more explanation of Intel's bug bounty program and the role it has played in, in all of this? Absolutely. So um, we partner with HackerOne on our bug bounty and we were ranked one of the top five in the industry. And what a bug bounty is, is really, um, you know, to encourage outside researchers to um, look at our products and, and try to find security vulnerabilities. We are encouraging them to go out and, and look in these key areas and find vulnerabilities and then come back to us to work with us and ensure that we can mitigate the issue and disclose it in a coordinated fashion so that, you know, we are supporting the researcher community in that regard because this is their their livelihood, this is their bread and butter. And, you know, if we invest in that community and we partner with them and we demonstrate goodwill in terms of coordinated disclosure and amplification of the message and the issue um, in partnership with the mitigation itself, um, you know, then we are really uh, putting the ecosystem in a whole in a much better position uh, from a security perspective. And, you know, this area requires a tremendous amount of collaboration and cooperation. And, um, you know, just this last year, we invested over $800,000 into the bug bounty program, uh, into the researcher community. And I'm incredibly proud of the team that, that works on this at Intel. Okay. Well, and I think, you know, from my perspective, there are kind of two two elements to that. One is just having more eyeballs, just having additional eyeballs look at look at a problem and, and, and see something. And the other, which is kind of a slight twist on that, is having non-Intel eyeballs. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it's sort of the uh, writer editor aspect of it. You know, it's like I, I it's hard for me to edit my own stuff because I read it the way I meant to write it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 
Yep. And, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, internally, if you're not finding vulnerabilities, you're not looking hard enough. And so, you know, we, we invest in the bug bounty program. And I would say that that accounted for, um, you know, about 45% of the findings in uh, 2020, I think out of 231 CVEs, um, you know, 45% were found through the bug bounty, but we're also investing internally as well and, and making sure that we are, using our red teams and researchers in-house to also look for vulnerabilities. So, you know, another half of that were CVEs that were found as part of that investment that we make in researchers that are part of Intel as well. Okay. Um, one of the, one of the, the, the findings, uh, takeaways in the report, um, talks about the, 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 the perennial issue of, uh, IT budgets, you know, and, and, and as long as I've been working in IT and IT and, and cybersecurity, and as long as I've been writing about IT and cybersecurity, that is always an issue. It's always, yeah. well, we don't have the budget. Nobody, you know, the, right. the management doesn't, doesn't recognize the problem enough to, to, to allocate the budget or, or, or it just doesn't exist. I mean, sometimes it's not a matter of allocation. They just don't have it. Um, but you know, so it, it, in, in this report, uh, you know, we've got 86% of respondents um, basically say they don't have the money. You know, so 40, 45% was, mm -hmm. you know, you know we, it's, it's adequate, but not what we want. And then another 41% said it's not quite adequate. What, I, 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 I'm just curious, you know, like what your thoughts are on handling that issue. And, and from this perspective, which it, which is, we talk about budget all the time, and, and obviously you do have to invest in, in these things. It, it does take money. But the flip side of it kind of being money alone won't solve the problem. So like we, we hyper focus on budget, but it's like, OK, well, if I gave you unlimited budget, would you actually solve the problem? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not really <clears throat> at Intel. I'm just talking about companies sure. like if you if you had the budget, what would it, what exactly would you do with it that would solve the problem? Yep. No, I, I, you know, I think we're confident that the investment that is put into security far outweighs the implications of what would happen if a major exploit was to affect your systems. And so, you know, it really comes down to education and helping folks understand the importance of investing in security early and often. Um, so you don't get into a situation where you um, are having to deal with an exploit, which, you know, I don't have any data to, to back this up, but I would imagine is going to be significantly more costly to your company at the end of the day if um, you have an exploit. Um, you know, there's an interesting data point that I saw the other day that said, you know, it only takes 22 days to develop an exploit, but it can last for up to seven years. So, you know, I, I think you could do some quick math and, and realize that if you do appreciate the, the effort and the importance of security and you have that education and background, that you could apply some some quick math to to figure out how expensive it would be if you weren't to invest upfront and rather waited until your systems were exploited and then having to deal with that for the next you know five to seven years. Right. Well, and actually, and actually, that logic could be applied to a number of things in terms of, I mean, even just even just personal health. Like it's cheaper it's cheaper <laughs> <laughs> to eat right and exercise than it is to deal with the consequences of not doing that. Um, 
it, it, from a cybersecurity perspective, you know, so, so first of all, I was going to say when you were saying that you, you, you uh, don't have the information to cite offhand, but you're sure it's out there somewhere. I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's in a Ponemon report. <laughs> Let's get Larry on the phone next. I'm sure there's a Ponemon report. <laughs> the, the details on how much that costs. Um, and, and, and I've, I've actually written that, that story numerous times over the last 15, 20 years in terms of, you know, is it expensive to, you know, get these security tools and manage these security tools? Yes. Is it cheaper than getting breached? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. and yet, you know, most companies will still, you know, take that gamble. Yeah. I, you know, I think that that's why investing in in studies like this and and being as open and transparent about the work that we're doing, the investments we're making, hopefully bring along more folks over time as they understand the importance. They're seeing some of these, uh, you know, nation state attacks happening out there. Um, those are increasing, as I mentioned previously. I, I think that you know, over time, hopefully, we can just continue to educate and support these these companies and understanding why. Uh, you know, investing in security infrastructure is so incredibly important. Absolutely. Um, it's also, you know, interesting to me, and 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 again, this is a, you know something something you and I talked about uh, before, which is a lot a lot of these a lot of the issues. Uh, you know, there are certain security issues that you know, especially in recent years, that were, you know, at at the chip level that, you know, there, there's a direct uh, connection between the between the vulnerability and Intel. But there's, I feel like that's a uh, very small part of, you know, the overall, like what Intel does in terms of investing in security is much broader than 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 that. And that you and that Intel as a company you guys do a lot of, um, you know, you invest a lot of money and time and effort in security that, you know, helps the broader community that isn't necessarily a function of Intel specifically. Um, and, you know, which, which I find, you know, I, I think that that is uh, very uh, generous <laughs> on the one hand. And, you know, uh, but, you know, but, I think you know the point you brought up when we talked about it is that uh, th there 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 is some element of it of well even if it's not directly attributed to Intel like you know you're you're you'll you'll get thrown under the bus with it <laughs> you know it's it's kind of that uh, you know the 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 relationship and all of that but you know the 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 investment that you're making. Um, I feel like it. Uh, what's the words I'm looking for? Ultimately, I, I really appreciate what Intel is doing in terms of trying to protect the operating system and protect the users essentially from themselves. And I mean, like you know, at any given, you know, you've got the the Microsoft Exchange, you know, vulnerabilities that are you know in the headlines now. And the you know the solar wind stuff. There there are different things that 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 happen. Um, and in you know you know no no software is ever going to be perfect. So I I don't think it's it's unreasonable to think that Microsoft is going to somehow make Exchange invulnerable. Um, it's unreasonable to think that Intel is going to make 
it impossible for for malware to execute. But as long as everyone is putting forth the effort, you know, we at least raise the bar, make it harder for attackers to do what they're what they're trying to do. And it, toward that end, the stuff that Intel has done, in, you know, in, in the last year, and I'm I'm, I'm blanking on on uh, you know what what the specific uh, mitigations were, but you know, to be able to at the chip level kind of recognize, okay, there are entire classes of attack that have to do X, Y, Z in order to function. And we as Intel, you know, it, it's not an attack against Intel, uh, but we as Intel have the ability to say, well, we just won't let our chip do that. Um, that's right. I think that's, it, you know, that, it, that kind of approach that I think is very helpful to the community at large. Yep. Yep, and you know that's why that's why we invest in the the security infrastructure internally and the technology efforts. You know, we look at this as an industry challenge and opportunity. Um, we have conversations with uh, co-opetition and and companies that you wouldn't imagine that we would have regular calls with because security is critical to all of us and it's not going to improve it's not going to get the attention and the um investment that it needs if everyone isn't talking about it okay i, I agree with that so we we already talked about that you know there's a lot of companies that could uh stand to do better in their in the realm of of transparency um but aside from that, aside from you know improving their transparency and communications around vulnerabilities and updates, um, what else do you think vendors can or should be doing to assure customers that their data is secure? Update systems early and often, apply mitigation that is appropriate whenever possible. Um, you know, we appreciate that performance is king and so finding that right balance of security um, protection with performance and ensuring that the systems are running well and uh, delivering on what they were intended to do is incredibly important and we hear that from our customers all the time so you know we have an opportunity there not only to be transparent but also to be um, supportive in the way that we provide guidance and um, and and give them the tools that they need to understand, you know, how a security vulnerability might affect their systems, so that they can, the, in turn, go and apply the mitigations appropriately, and they don't feel like it's a one size fits all. We're not trying to just, you know, shove security um, features and and mitigations down uh, to them. It's really about, uh, you know, ensuring that we're providing the best amount of support we can and, and educating them from a security perspective on why this is so critical. Okay. Um, one of the things that has, I mean, it's been, it's been a trending sort of uh, topic for a few years, but has been more in the headlines sort of after solar winds and now, uh, actually, so there's kind of two, two aspects. What is the supply chain attack from the perspective of, you know, I'll go after the low hanging fruit um in the software supply chain to you know be able to infiltrate the other is the actual little literal uh 
you know, like manufacturing supply chain. You know, so both of those have been mm-hmm. in the news lately. Um, uh, one one basically because of solar winds, and the other because of uh, you know executive order from uh, President Biden in relation to sort of the challenges we've had in the pandemic. You know, during the pandemic, uh, trying to get the resources that we need for for, for supply chain. Um, what is Intel doing uh, in relation to supply chain, supply chain transparency? So we have, um, you know, our compute lifecycle assurance effort that is really focused on securing the supply chain. And uh, in addition to that, on the supply chain front, you know, just the the uh, engagement and support for the executive order, we think that there's a really amazing opportunity there to level the playing field for a lot of the American companies that are dealing with global competition um, in this semiconductor area. And so, you know, we welcome this and we look forward to working with the administration to uh, supporting this order and and providing the information that's needed to really kind of improve that area. Um, From a physical attacks perspective, this is this is a space that you know we're we're really digging into right now. So um, traditionally, it's been really outside of our scope of the threat model because you had to have a physical machine in your hand and crack open the chassis to get in there. And so it was almost like we were like, okay, well, unless keep your system with you, and then you won't have a problem. And that's not good enough anymore. Um, that response isn't what uh, CSPs want to hear, and so we need to double down on that and really think about what is going to help customers feel better about physical attacks and how we can support them and and give them the assurances that they need that their system is going to be uh, secure uh, from these types of, of challenges as well and what sort of guidance and support can we give them in that area. So that's an area that we're absolutely focused on right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I know that, that, those kind of things are interesting to me because even like mm-hmm. you know, way way back when I was uh, you know in in the cybersecurity trenches, um, I was at EDS. We were doing cybersecurity for General Motors, and you know, and I'm talking early 2000s. And even then, I was looking at it and saying, okay, but if I'm an attacker, I'm not going after General Motors. General Motors has thousands of suppliers. Um, you know, some of them are just you know the mom and pop guy around the corner. And it's going to be way easier for me to hack him uh, that and and General Motors trusts him. So that's an easy way in. And so, you know, I I would say that way back then. And then you had the target attack and you had, you know, just different attacks like that. And that and it's hard to combat that. And it's hard to, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of things out there, you know, zero trust and and various various models to to try to deal with it. But it's hard to combat that. Right. Yeah, I think. One one of the data points in the Honoman study was focused on um, malicious insiders and 40% of, sorry, 38% of uh, organizations felt that that was one of the biggest threats. How do you combat that? How do you respond to that? How do you give folks the tools to be able to um, address it? And so this is this is a tough one, but it sounds like it's hasn't it's not a new problem. It's just one that we're definitely starting to pay more attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and I and I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that 
the industry and Intel are, are are paying attention to these things and that we talk about them. I don't I don't I, I, I try not to be completely cynical and jaded about the fact that we're, you know, 20 I'm, I'm 20 years in and we have the same conversations every year. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, it's like every, every year there's a, uh, you know, the password's dead. We should all do multi-factor authentication. Everyone's still using one, two, three, four or their dog's name. And it's like, OK, but you know, we've, we've said that now for 20 years and everyone's still doing it. So apparently we need a different solution than just telling for tact. Yes. <laughs> um, well, let's see. So what else like kind of what what do you want? What do you want the takeaway to be or, you know, what what is your main takeaway from the report? Like, you know, when when people read this report and they're done with it, you know, what do you hope they get out of it? Well, you know, at the end of the day, it'd be wonderful if some of those companies that were questioning whether or not they invest in security uh, took a closer look at where they're putting their dollars and and maybe, uh, you know, invest a bit more in that area because it's clear that it's important to the industry that, um, you know, we're delivering what customers expect from a security mitigation standpoint, that we are being transparent that we're we're earning that trust with our customers that when they buy something from Intel, it's going to be secure. It's going to run incredibly well. It's going to have the highest level of performance. And you know that's the bar that we want to set for the entire industry because at the end of the day, if everyone is invested in security, if everyone is taking the time to shine a light on these issues that are coming to bear, you know, the the industry as a whole has an opportunity to really invest in the way that we mitigate and support um, these these areas and and, you know, and and find those vulnerabilities that um, could be the next big exploit that um, affects customers. And so really making sure that people understand how important security is and and how critical critical it is to our customers and and the ecosystem as a whole. Okay. You know, one of the things that I think has improved some, but a lot of a lot of especially smaller companies still need to grasp is I still see this mentality a lot of, well, I don't need to focus on that as much because, you know, I don't have, you know, I, I, I don't have any important information or I don't have any value. You know, like I, I don't need to worry about security because I, who would target me? Um, but you look at something like the, you know, like the, the current uh you know, the Microsoft, Microsoft Exchange server thing. And it's like, that's not the way attackers work. Like the you know, most, very, very few attacks are so targeted that they actually know what you have and, and what they want. It's purely just, I'm looking for all vulnerable systems. And if that's you, <laughs> then you're going to be impacted. And uh, and I think, you know, to, to take it back to the kind of the, the supply chain aspect of kind of finding the low-hanging fruit a lot of those smaller companies also don't seem to understand or recognize the place they play in the ecosystem of well yeah i may not want to get to you but you're doing business with company b and company b is trusted by you know the state of texas and so by hacking you i can get to the state of texas Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know so i think you know, is if we can if we can continue to sort of educate people on those things that a the attacker doesn't care who you are they don't even know who you are. That's right. And, and b, even if you don't think you have any valuable information, 
there's always something an attacker can get out of that out of that compromise. Even if it's just I've now now I own your server and I can use it as a jumping off point to send out other you know ransomware phishing spam attacks or whatever. You know that that might be it, but a lot of times it's just you know can I get any credentials? And then okay now that I have them, what does that get me? And it's you know it's understanding how the dots connect. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I, I think just you know I don't think if if folks would just take a moment to to think about where they've shared a password or uh, you know where they put their credit card information in and you know just a few uh, key swipes that could really just change everything for them. I, I think it's again it just goes back to that that education piece and helping everyone understand. Um, how and how easy uh, 22 days to to create an exploit that could impact customers and consumers for for years to come and i think you know just making that information available and helping folks understand um how how security affects us all um could could go a long way from that regard so um there's there's a takeaway in there too the the as, as you were talking about the the 22 days to create an exploit that lasts for seven years. I was thinking about how the you know the headlines are often driven by zero days. Like those are scary, those are sexy, though, you know, it makes it makes for good news. Like, oh my God, there's a zero day. And what gets lost in that to a lot of people, especially people who aren't in technology and don't work in cybersecurity, is that the vast majority of of attacks, like even the, the most successful attacks, are against vulnerabilities that have existed and the patch has been around for a year and you just haven't done it yet um so it's like yeah we like to talk about the zero days but that's not really the bigger bigger problem the bigger problem is there are vulnerabilities that we already know are critical that a patch has already been developed for that you just haven't bothered to apply yet you know so i think you know doing doing more of that education uh in terms of Look, you really do need to apply these patches. You need to try mm-hmm. to stay, you know, reasonably up to date on these things. Otherwise, you know, it, it's going to look really silly when you get breached by a, something that where the patch has been in existence for a year. Absolutely, and that's why we pride ourselves on the product security report because we come back at the end of the year and we publicize how many vulnerabilities we found and we we make that information readily available with the mitigations so that you know you might have not cut it on uh, caught it on the first end or you might have not seen it the second time around but you know at some point we're going to continue to be driving these points home that uh you know there are these vulnerabilities out there there is mitigation that exists we are providing guidance we understand the importance that you have around performance um, and in all of those points really kind of feed back into that transparency and and really building that trust because um, we want to be as open and transparent as possible about these issues so that you can apply those mitigations that you can you know look at a class of exploits and and you know researchers will feel motivated to want to go and and dig a little deeper to understand you know what else might be under the hood so that we can then, work with them to apply additional mitigations. Again, you know, at some point, hopefully these companies are are, are coming on board and, and understanding that um, applying these mitigations in these cases is incredibly important. And the fact that 
we're out there talking about them and and providing that support um, is a really uh, a great way for us to continue to be a, uh, an industry leader in this regard. Agreed. Um, all right, so so all, love all the discussion of security and the report. I did warn you. I was also going to ask you about DC versus. Yes, Mark. bring it. Oh, and so, strong opinion. I I'm I'm a Marvel person for sure, and I've got three young boys, so um, that's you know family favorites. That's our Friday movie nights. Um, you know, uh, Black Panther is my guy. So it, it, you know, I've I've got seven kids. Um, uh, most of which are are grown and and don't and are not at home anymore, and most of which are also you know comic nerds you know tech you know sci-fi nerds um i think marvel is by far the 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 winner here as well and my uh my youngest uh, daughter is uh 14 she'll be 15 soon um she's seen some of the stuff off and on uh but I'm, i we, we've actually been going back through i've, I've been trying to catch her up because she feels like you know she, she missed some stuff so she so she's seen like a few here and there but we started kind of going through chronologically like all right let's start at the beginning I want to do that so bad. Yeah. I, my kids are a little younger, so they just don't have that attention span yet. But um, but that's exactly what I want to do with them. Is she loving it? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's really nice. And especially, I, I think, you know, because she has seen like a movie here and there, it, it's nice to kind of go back and, and get the backstory on, you know, the, the connect the dots from, how, well, how did we get there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think they've done a good job of kind of weaving all of that together and, um, and again, I won't spoil anything either for you or for the listening audience, but, you know, we talked about Wanda that also like it, it, it's sort of mind blowing to me how much better Marvel is as a studio than what DC is doing. Like my Marvel is like almost flawless in the way they kind of weave everything together and, yeah. and, and the, and the, the story they've been managing to tell over the course of, you know, 20 some odd movies in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, and DC just seems to trip over their own feet every time. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Like, you know, Batman versus Superman. Like, I still don't get it. Like what? <laughs> oh, I get so I I'm with you on that. And I think that's why we've had a little bit of a difficult time getting into that as much as we have with Marvel. Um, I, I love how they weave the stories together. It's amazing. I have my, my oldest son is actually, a. a he doesn't like avidly read comics, but he knows all of the, the, the canon. He knows the lore of, of both. And so, like, you know, he'll tell you that, you know, Batman versus Superman. It's like they didn't just make that up. I mean, they pulled it from the comics, um, mm-hmm. but they still do a bad job of, you know, the, the, the lighting is bad. The you know music is bad. The dialogue is bad. Everything's bad. Um, but also with Batman versus Superman, I always I looked at it and I was always just like, OK, look, I, I've, I've watched you know, I grew up watching Justice League. I, I, I've known Batman and Superman for a very long time. Um, there's no contest there. That's not a fight. Like, <laughs> like right. can't fight. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I know. I agree with you. Yeah. That's so funny. So anyway, I mean, yeah, I, 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 good luck. Good luck. Uh, you know, getting getting your kids through the uh, MCU. Thankfully. You know, because of partially because of COVID and partially because, you know, we had uh, Avengers Endgame and they, they, they kind of took a hiatus. So now you've got this like three year window to catch up, you know, before <laughs> before anything really happens again. 
That's very true. Um, our family is, um, you know, if we had to choose between Marvel and Star Wars, though, like Star Wars is like way up there in the register. So that was the other question was Star Wars yeah. or Star Trek. And it's think- always Star Wars. I grew up on Star Trek for sure. Um, you know, Wrath of Khan was like one of my favorite movies with my dad when I was like eight. Um, but, uh, growing up and, uh, you know, once I got married, my husband is a huge Star Wars fan and, and we just got way into it. And then I think Disney has just done an incredible job with the Mandalorian and, and all the work that they're doing there. I think the last Star Wars was not Mm -hmm. the greatest, but they've redeemed themselves on the Mandalorian front. So really enjoying that and the stories there. And then we started watching as part of COVID, uh, you know, Clone Wars and um, what's the other one? Rebels. Uh, so we got all of those stories and kind of like packed it in. So we've watched those and then like bookmarked it with the movies and kind of like seen that whole uh, arc come together. So that's where we really have been geeking out and using our COVID watching hours. I grew up on both and I've always loved both. And I, I don't actually fully understand the debate because I'm like, it's not to me, it's not the same thing as DC versus Marvel. Like DC, mm-hmm. versus, they literally copy each other. Like for every for every superhero you can find in one of the universes, there's a parallel character in the other universe. Um, and, you know, they, they literally try to just copy each other. Star Wars and Star Trek are entirely different things, really. I mean, uh, and 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 they, they're interesting to me for for different reasons. I mean, you know, the thing I, the thing I love about Star Trek is to go back and watch kind of the original the original Star Trek series and recognize the fact that that was in like 1960 and then look at around and, and see that you have all of that technology. Now, I mean, all we're, all we're missing is transporters and that's right. we had transport yeah. drives. We would have accomplished Star Trek. That's right. Yeah. I was actually just reading something about that, about how uh, future forward they were in terms of just all the technology and all the things that they showed in the sixties. That's really crazy, but yeah. And I, you know, you don't have to do this with star Wars because star Wars is, you know, pure, you know, basically pure fantasy. Um, but star Trek, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry was very adamant about having actual scientists on staff on set to tell them whether or not these things were plausible. So they didn't just make stuff up, you know, like, you know, when they, when they say that there's a transporter, like, do we have one? No. But is it at least theoretically possible to have one? And the answer is yes. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've done some stuff. So they've done it on, 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 on just a, an atomic level, like uh, yeah. China, like a couple years ago, managed to transport something from point A to point B. And so, like, theoretically, it's possible. Somehow I just got the fly in my head. <laughs> That's somewhat reasonable too, but it depends on like you know how you, uh, you know, like to 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 completely derail this podcast. I know, right? The, uh, the, the, as as I understand the the basis of the, the the teleportation technology, it is not that I am breaking down the atomic. Uh, structure of Susie Greenberg and sending it from point A to point B. It's that I am essentially reading, okay, well, what is the, what is the, basically the schematic diagram of your atomic makeup and then recreating it at point B. 
And so then there's all kinds of philosophical questions in terms of, uh, you know, well, are you still, you know, is is the Susie Greenberg that arrives at the transporter pad actually still Susie Greenberg? <laughs> ah, you're freaking me out. Um, yeah, no, that's crazy. Oh, gosh. Well, we'll see. Hopefully it's all secure. <laughs> Bring it back. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> but yes, I highly recommend catching up on uh, the entire uh, Marvel Universe. And yes. Vision. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, especially like the first three episodes, I think there were a lot of people who were like, what am, what am I even watching? What is going on right now? Um, mm -hmm. But, you, you know, you just have to kind of go with it. It it, it, <laughs> it it gets there. But the first couple episodes, you're like, why am I watching like an I Love Lucy rerun in, you know, in the MCU? Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Except challenge accepted. I'm on it. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank uh, you. Great conversation, um, and you know, I will I will include a link to the uh, to the report, um, you know, in the, you know with the podcast. Um, but yeah, I recommend people check it out and uh, and see, you know, kind of what what Intel is doing and the investment that investments that Intel is making uh, in this area. So take care. Thank you. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.